All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your MoneyWise guys back inside the MoneyWise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new new listeners to the MoneyWise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 57 points or two-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was down about five points or one-tenth of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 31 points, or three-tenths of 1%. Now, we finished the fourth quarter of uh, 2022. It was a good good quarter. The, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was actually up more than 15% in the fourth quarter of this year. The S&P 500 was up a little bit more than 7% for the fourth quarter. The NASDAQ turned in another negative quarter. was down 1% in the fourth quarter of the year. And finally... For our year-to-date ending 2022 numbers, and this is without dividends. We'll have those next week on next week's show. Uh, the Dow was down 8.8% for the year. The S&P 500 was down 19.4%, and the NASDAQ was down 33.1% for 2022. Well, I will say I'm glad to get 2022 in the rear view and looking forward to 2023. In fact, 2022 for the S&P 500 was the fourth worst year for that index dating back all the way to 1945, being down 19.4%. You know, it's very so, rare that the S&P 500 is, is down – in any particular year, you know, in the last 52 years, uh, the S&P 500 has only been down 11 times, uh, which is a success rate of 79%. We'll call it eight times out of 10, the market is going to be higher as measured by the S&P 500. Uh, it is, it, it's been a long time since we've had a market down as much as this, and and it has never happened in any of our careers, including our fathers, where we've had bonds and stocks uh, do this poorly as you know as a as a group of investments. You know, 08, the S and P five hundred was down substantially more. We were down thirty seven percent 
in 2008. But bonds were up that year. You know, we, we made, uh, I think I was looking at the our account number one church endowment that we've had since the day we opened the doors. I want to say our performance that year in bonds, we were up like 3.5% uh, in bonds. Now, I don't have the end-of-the-year statistics. I have them through Thursday. But the Bloomberg U.S. Aggregate Bond Index was an aggregate of all investment-grade corporate and government bonds of any maturity range, whether it be one month to 50 years, the aggregate was down almost 13%. Almost 13% in bonds. Yes, Joe. We were all talking about at the beginning of the show is we can't in our careers at least we've never seen the the, the bond market perform as poorly. No, you know, and obviously no. that's no. attributed to it, quickly raising interest rates faster than I've seen them in at least my career. Well, so, yeah, there there the the many pundits were talking here this week about it's never happened. They're claiming it never happened in history to have interest rates go up this 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 far, this fast. I'm not sure if that's if that's 100% true. I'd have to go back and look at the 1990s. I know there were a lot of interest rate increases in the 1990s. I know mortgage rates have doubled from what they were a year ago. I know that uh, the two-year treasury was yielding something like two-tenths of a percent in the fourth quarter of 2021, and now it's, you know, four and a quarter plus, a little bit more, four, four and a quarter plus. So, I mean, to go from two-tenths to Four and a quarter in 12 Substantial. months. Substantial. I mean, that's, mode. that's huge. So, and I think I said this on a radio show here in the last few months. There's a part of me that's surprised that the stock market didn't perform even worse considering how much interest rates uh, went up. But for those, you know, for investors in, in, Instruments like target date funds or balanced mutual funds where they've got some money in stocks, some money in bonds, some money in cash. Uh, this is the year that, you know, like, wow, you know, bonds really can hurt your portfolio if you're not positioned correctly. Mm-hmm. They absolutely that, can. And, and, that's, <laughs> and that's very, very, very rare. But when we went into this year, I think you can go back and listen to our show that's based it's probably still up on our website. We'll get into our predictions that were mostly not great <laughs> looking back on the predictions that we made for interest rates and for the markets. But I'll tell you the the moves that we made, you know, the 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 key to success this year in a balanced portfolio was to do something that most investors would have never done. You know, most you know, people that manage money would have never done, and that is to have sold a substantial portion of your bond portfolio. And if you were really, you know, thinking outside the box, go short betting on higher interest rates. Now, we we predict we thought we'd have higher interest rates this year. Our predictions last year across the board, we thought the ten-year Treasury would be uh, two and a quarter percent. What we thought we'd end the year. I think that that was the consensus between all of us, including Dad, that we were going to be at two and a quarter percent on a ten-year Treasury. Well, we ended the year for a two-year Treasury just below four percent, three point eight seven nine, and that was after beginning the year at one and a half. We'll just round it off. We started the year at one about one and a half yield on the ten-year Treasury, and we ended almost four percent on a ten-year Treasury. All of us were wrong. 
in terms of how high interest rates were going go, we're going to go. Significantly we totally underestimated. Significant, yeah, we significantly underestimated. It's because I think, and I know we're getting we're coming up here to the break, but I think we were all kind of in the same boat as the Fed, as we all thought uh, that inflation was going to be more transient, and it didn't turn out that way. And the Fed certainly came in there and changed changed their tune from what they were had a year ago. Because a year ago, what were they saying? They weren't even going to be raising rates in 2022. We know all that turned out. I'll stop That's there. Right. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So we're continu- continuing to recap 2022, just going through some statistics. You know, the, the other statistic, and I know uh, might not have this on hand, but I know statistically it's extremely rare for the S&P 500 to be negative in back-to-back years. Now, there was a point in time at the beginning of this century in two th- from 2000 to 2002 where we had three consecutive negative years for the market, uh, 20, uh, 2002 being the biggest of those down years, down 22.10%. But going back throughout the history of the market. Well, we had 73, 74. 73 and 74, 73, yes, 70, we did. In the last 52 years, 73, 74, and the 2000, 2001, 2002 time period are you know, the only in the last you know half century where we've had back-to-back down years, uh, it, it is it is exceedingly rare, uh, but not uh, unheard of. Uh, but what the was seven- the one thing? But what was the one thing that we had? I mean, two thousand was the dot-com bubble bursting, but then we also had a pretty deep and some nasty recessionary periods in a one oh two. So, you know, that, that, that was a catalyst that created kind of those, you know, the dot-com bubble bursting for 2000. Then we move into a recession in 01 and 02 and a pretty substantial recession that caused those kind of three years in a row with the markets being negative. Well, you know, as, as we get further than the show and we talk about, you know, what we see moving forward into 2023, you know, I, I'm not, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I don't think any of us foresee a really deep, dark, nasty recession as some bearish pundits have been saying in the financial entertainment press now and, and most of the pundits are thinking we'll have somewhat of a soft landing uh, but i did want to get back to something that we were talking about you know and we were talking about last year we we're talking about the fed and we we're talking about interest rates i mean one of the factors that and i was listening to the show re-listening to the show and obviously there are midterms so we we're trying to figure out all right you know how quickly and how much is power going to raise rates? And, and obviously, in, a, in a, an election year, and that didn't come to fruition. He just 
they raised rates and they tightened. Uh, you, you were thinking we were, we were anticipating them maybe not being as aggressive with the midterms, even though they're supposed to be bipartisan, that they would be getting some political pressure, particularly from the left, to not put a clamp down on the economy. But the, the whole thing is, is during this entire interest rate raising cycle, outside of the technical recession we did have in the first two quarters of this year, we've had a nice recovery for the third quarter because we talked about it on last weekend or the weekend before show that we're showing, you know, third quarter GDP, the final read at 3.2% positive. So the economy has definitely withstood this interest rate increasing cycle. But the big question, again, now where the handicapping starts going into 2023, particularly the first two quarters of 2023, and I know Jeff has been talking about this repeatedly on the show, or what what is the E going to be? What are the earnings going to be? How much of of the earnings for the S&P 500 has already been, you know, lowered earnings estimates for the S&P 500. How much of that has been priced in? Has any of it been priced in at all? Do we still have another leg lower possibly to, I guess, the level that we'd been saying throughout this past year of 2022 as kind of we're, we're seeing a 3,400 as kind of the base case, the support level on the downside for the S&P 500. So that's now what we're having to handicap looking into the first and second quarter of 23. So I'm I'm still in the camp that the first half of next year will be uh, negative. I think the second half of the year will be better. And I think we'll, we'll end the year with a positive note. I'm not in the double-digit up camp. Uh, for 2023, I, I think we will challenge the lows that we saw in October of, uh, 2022. And I, I think the, the reason that we'll challenge them is, is the earnings revisions that are to come. Um, I, I, we're going to have a recession. I, I have, there's no doubt in my mind. Personally, that we're going to have a recession. I think that the, that statistic that I talked about on last week's show, where we I think we've had eight or nine straight months of uh, uh, negative leading economic indicators, and we've never not had a recession um, <clears throat> when the leading economic indicators were that many months negative in a row. Um, I, trying to handicap when the Fed's going to pivot, you know. What they say today, we all know uh, th- that they can change their mind on a, in a heartbeat. Uh, I remember in 2018, we we were have we were going to have a double digit up year, and uh, the Federal Reserve started talking about raising rates, and the entire year was ruined basically in the month of December. You know, December, I think we 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 haven't had a negative December since 18. And we had a we, we had a negative December to to end 2022, <clears throat> and so, and so a year ago we were talking about the Fed uh, n- saying they weren't going to be raising rates in 2022 because they thought they thought uh, inflation was transitory, and then we were all proven wrong uh, with inflation not being transitory, and they had to totally change their their tune. Uh, have they done enough? You know, we don't have enough data yet to know if they've done enough. And there's as long as there's there's still in this 
Are things are things better? Sure, things are better. Things are moving in the right direction. It's just the amount of time it's going to take to get to the Fed's target, which we've all talked about on this show. That two percent mandate is. But I, is I it is it out of the realm of possibility if they if they if they should have started raising rates sooner that they're going to keep raising rates longer than they should have? Maybe if they're trying, I mean, again, with, with the last, with the last uh, FOMC meeting and, and Chairman Powell giving that kind of tough talking speech after they made the decision in the presser and the press conference, I think that they're trying to do it in a sense to save face. So how much face saving are they going to need to be doing in 2023? You know, that's, again, that's the big question. Are they going to continue to talk tough to, to make up for their failures of how long they waited to start. Well, I'm just going to say, I think trying to handicap this, it's a, it's a losing race. I mean, we, we try, we, everybody and every, every prognosticator and expert and analyst is trying to figure out this year and, you know, okay, is the Fed going to pivot? Okay. How many times did the market, all right, rally based off the uh, off of everybody. The anticipation, thinking, yeah, or, the or anticipation. 50% of the analysts thinking that you know the the, the Fed was going to pivot, you know, and and I think it's just it's extremely difficult to but, but, handicap that. But here is one prediction we can make that I, I give think it is going to just say that. Well, I think I think <laughs> never give one up, the, Joe. Never give up. Well, I think handicap it. But. I think here's one prediction that I think we would all agree and and will prove to be right is that the Fed will stop raising interest rates in 2023. I yes. think that's a, that's yeah, a very that, safe that, bet that they're going to be stopping and ending the rate increases in 2023. I know Jeff, you're a little bit longer into the second quarter. I'm into the first quarter camp is when they're going to stop because they've got two meetings and the first quarter being in February and one in March uh, where they're going to, I think after that, they're going to end their interest rate increasing cycle. It's one of my predictions. So I'm kind of letting that cat out of the bag uh, early. Um, but everything is starting to move in the right direction. And, and as for my analysis, it will start to pick up steam at the pace of inflation starting to move down, whether it's core PCE or whether it's the CPI. Um, but, but, and, and, and I, and I would also agree with Jeff. I think that we'll have a recession, um, a soft ish landing with some recession, but I don't think it's going to be a deep, dark, nasty recession as a lot of the more bearish prognosticators in the financial chamber press has been talking about, because I think employment is going to, to help backstop that, uh, particularly for the small and mid-sized business owners that are desperate for employees. I was at an event last night talking to a smaller um, industrial fastener, a business owner, and I asked him about employees and once again, he needs four to five employees for his small business, and he's like, I'm dying for people, absolutely dying to hire somebody that can fill these positions. You know, I know ourselves, we've been looking for people at Davidson Capital Management, and it's very hard sledding. So I know that these two companies, our company and my friend's company, we're not the only two people in the same, you know, a lot of companies are in the same boat. So I think employment is going to backstop from us going into a deeper, darker recession like 01 and 02. Well, I, I think you also look at wage inflation. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's it's good news, bad news. Well, guess what? People are making more money, but that's also an issue for inflation it's, with Fred. For, exactly. Fred, that's the last, that's the last no. shoe to drop is the labor markets and what that's going to look like with unemployment. I think that's the last thing that Powell wants to see is he wants to see unemployment up a little bit and maybe wage wage prices go down. 
or wages go down. So, okay. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcast or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, you know, before we went to commercial break, Joe was making the point, and we were talking about wage inflation and just the, the the lack of employees that are needed, particularly for the mid and small size companies. Now, we're going to start hearing more and more layoffs. Now, we've heard about layoffs from the big mega corporations, the huge large caps, the Amazons of the world, the Microsofts, but they're still cutting a very small percentage of their total workforce. But the, the one thing that is keeping inflation higher for longer is that wage inflation because the lack of people post-pandemic getting off their couch, out of their house, and out in the workforce. Now, I do know that there was some older workers that the pandemic was kind of the final straw that broke that camel's back to say, you know what, I am going to retire, that aren't coming back into the labor force. This is another thing that adds to the low, you know, very low participation rate as far as the labor force is concerned. You're talking about the great resignation. That's what. Yeah. Well, yeah. For, for for the older employees that are finally retiring, and we also know that with interest rates increasing the way they have this year, particularly for employees that have traditional defined benefit plans, traditional pensions, and the negative effect the higher interest rate environment was going to be on their lump sum distribution that they could roll over into an IRA. That also was a straw that kind of pushed. That kind of broke the camel's back to push some of those employees to retire maybe a little bit sooner because they didn't want to take, in some cases, I mean, prospective clients that became clients of ours where they were looking to be taking seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollar hits because of the higher interest rate environment. But what we have to do is we have to get the younger employees, the younger workers back out of the house, out of the basement, and out into the workforce because the folks that are out there working now, I mean, when I see signs, Chick-fil-A paying nineteen twenty-five an hour, you know, that that just cannot be sustained. But that, like you were saying, Joe, before the break, that is adding to the inflationary issue that we're seeing. And the Fed can't control people getting out into the workforce. They can't control that. Fred can't. The Fed can't print people. Yeah, they can't print, they can they print can't, money. They can print money. We know that. They, they can't, can't print, print motivation. People. They can't print motivation. They can't motivate people to go out there and work. And so that wage inflation aspect is going to take longer to work itself through. Also, the service inflation, because of all the pent-up demand of travel and hotel and things of that nature, you know, all the product buying, I think, was done because we are seeing these excess inventories. I mean, we hear it from Nike. We hear it from Lululemon. They had massive excess inventory 
So we have we see all these retailers having to get rid of this inventory. So that inflationary aspect has come down. But we still have service inflation. But that will also work itself through the system as time goes on and people catch up on the trips and the experiences, the life experiences they missed during the COVID lockdown. This is all just going to take time. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with you, Joe, hardly on the labor side. That It's just it's keeping some of this inflation persistent. So everything is moving in the right direction. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. So the Fed stops raising interest rates this year, uh, whether it's – I think it's probably going to be the first half of the year. But where are they – right now they're going to get to – they want to get to 5% on a Fed funds rate. So getting to 5% on a Fed funds rate, that's some serious competition for stocks. It would be 50, 50 in February, 25 in March. That would get them to five. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we're we right now at yields we haven't seen 14, 15 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're looking we're, – we're already been building out, starting to think about how we're going to be building out the portfolio, especially on the bond side, here in the first – month of the new year and uh, we're looking at some corporate bonds that have that are that are yielding in the fives uh you know that we still have these we still have government bonds uh yielding in the mid four and a half so this is only out a couple of years we're going to start venturing out a little bit further on the yield curve in our in our bond portfolio we're also either going to be eliminating completely or maybe cutting back some more our bond short, which has actually done, uh, has come on here in the last, uh, few weeks of the year, uh, with yields coming up. Uh, you know, yields have been trending down, uh, really since the, uh, since, since the last Fed meeting, and then they flipped around again and started trending back the other way. Now I know how much how much of that was into the year, you know, squaring up a portfolios to see yields going back the other way, but you know, we've been talking about what we what we're getting in some cash yields in the portfolio and and they're they're very attractive and they're going to get even more attractive as the as the Fed raises the Fed funds rate even more. And I'm not in the camp that they're going to stop and then on the next meeting, start cutting rates. I just don't see that. I see higher rates for longer, which means these higher yields and these instruments stick around longer, which, again, it's competition for stocks. Because remember, when we, when we were in that zero interest rate environment, and we talked about Tina, there is no alternative. Tina's dead. FOMO, you know, <laughs> fear of missing out, you know, people – you know that that hadn't had that got out of the markets and in the financial crisis or got out of the markets when COVID, uh, you know, really ramped up there in March and missed you know a, a, a tremendous buying opportunity when the when the Fed went to this you know zero interest rate policy and all this money was falling from the sky and from the government and, uh, and then all that now all that's changed. Uh, I'm not in the camp that we're going to have a negative year. I'm probably in the camp amongst the three of us that it's, that uh, that has probably the lowest performances for the various. Let's have it. I did. I did have the <laughs> lowest performances last year, and and I was still wrong. <clears throat> you want to know my predictions for 2023? Yes, this is we're we're yeah. actually setting a segue into it. Okay. 
the DCM championship belt okay. of market so, predictions. Since I won last year, I guess I get to go first this year. Is that the way it works? You were yeah, the, so the, least, you're, I was the least wrong. wrong. I, I was, I was the least okay. wrong, wrong in 2022. So we're going to go That's oldest right. to youngest now. Okay. Last so year for, we went youngest to oldest. All right. So for the Dow in 2023, I'm going to give it a positive four. Of the S&P, a positive six. And the NASDAQ, a positive eight. So it's the exact opposite of this year. I think the, the Dow will do worse and the, and the NASDAQ will do better. Based on the theme of how poorly the NASDAQ did in 2022, we'll flip the script in 2023. The high yield on the 10-year Treasury, four and a quarter. I think we'll go back to the to the high yields we saw for the 10-year in 2022. I think we'll test those again in 23. But we'll close the year at three and three quarters on a 10-year Treasury. I'm not making any outside-the-box predictions like what stock comes out of the Dow since I didn't since they didn't take my Verizon out of the Dow in 2022, though it was the 20, number 21 out of 30 stocks in the Dow. I think it has one of the worst five-year performances of the Dow of any stock, but it's still in the Dow. But I'm not making any predictions uh, in that in those respects. So who's who's going next, Kyle or Joe? Well, we're going to the youngest. I, I'm, I, you know, even though I'm not that young, I am amongst the three of us. So. Go ahead, Joe. We're going oldest to youngest. So I'm going to go. I'm just going to say ditto what Jeff said. And we move to Kyle. I'm just really? kidding. Yeah, that's, that's cheating. All right. Yeah, no, it's cheating. I, I have the Dow at, at 10, and I have the, the S&P at 8 with dividends reinvested. And I think it's going to be probably a longer road for the NASDAQ, and I have them right about 8. I just think so, there's a lot of people piling Aren't these the same predictions you had last year? Yeah, pretty close. So, They're exactly the uh, same. You can't uh, Abby Joseph Cohen us, Joe. She was always you had, saying you had, every, you, had the, you had the Dow at 10, NASDAQ at 8, the S&P at 8 for 2022. So no, you're doing the same thing? I think. But anyways, what I, my whole point is I think there's going to be a lot more investing in value stocks at the beginning of the year with the financial services. I think industrials, dividend-paying stocks. And I think the Dow is going to start off stronger, and I think eventually the, the, you know, the NASDAQ is going to come back. But – What's your ten-year Treasury prediction? I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Well, I'm gonna agree with Jeff at four and a quarter. I think all of us are thinking that. But no, where are we where are we year end? Where are we year, year end? Year end? Oh, year we end. Yeah. yeah, where are we year end? A ten-year. I'm gonna say four and a quarter. So you just think, okay, mm-hmm. all right, Kyle. Okay, a little bit time left for the Dow. Positive eight for the Dow. S&P 500 up 16%. Okay. NASDAQ positive 25%. Would move it to approximately 13,000 from where it is today. Uh, 10-year closed the year out at 3%. I think the Fed will stop raising interest rates after the March meeting. I think unemployment will reach 45 I went a little bit deeper than you guys. Yeah. And the consumer price index will be at three and a half by year end with the core PCE at three. So I would say I'm the most bullish of the three. Um, I do remember a couple of years ago, though, Jeff, you were more bullish than me. So, you know, I'm usually known as more of the bull in the office. But uh, but that's those are my predictions for 2023. Dow at eight, S&P 500 at 16 percent. 
and the NASDAQ up 25% for 2023. Well, let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise, guys, will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So we got our 2023 predictions out. It's now in the public sphere. We've got it written down. So we'll have to, uh, one year, from this show, we'll have to see how the markets turn out for 2023. But as we were saying earlier in this program, it's extremely rare for the stock market to be negative two years in a row. Uh, we all predicted positive returns for the market going into 2023. Jeff and Joe a little bit uh, on the lower end of the prediction, um, me being the being the most aggressive. But again, all of our predictions do not take the markets, whether it's the Dow, whether it's the S&P or the NASDAQ, back to all-time highs. Um, and, in fact, in no. some cases, for, for, the, for the NASDAQ, nowhere near its all-time high. So, and really, if you think about it in these terms, Kyle, we're kind of all in the same camp, and maybe I might be speaking out of turn, that we think the first half of the year is going to be more difficult than the second half. In order for, for me to get to a 6% on the S&P for the year, and I think the – we may challenge the lows um, in the first half of the year, you know, going back to 3,400. That means the second half of the year is going to have to be pretty solid. You're going to have to be very solid double-digit returns to get to positive six uh, by the end of the year. I, I just think that's the way, you know, I, I just think that's the way the year is going to go. I I just think we're, we have to challenge those lows that we set. And if we challenge them and we don't go through them, then you could get a much better confidence that that is, you know, that's the low. You know, I, I kind of look at th- this, this time period like 08, 09, where, you know, we had, we had a low in the fall and then we tested it again the following spring. And then that was it. And there was, but the, the, the and this but what's going to happen this time is the Fed's finally going to get back on our side. Now I'm not saying they're not going to get back on our side by cutting rates. They're just going to stop raising them, and that's getting back on the side of investors. But but in 08, but then, 09, it was the to, it was totally opposite. Yeah. The Fed the Fed was on our side. They had already cut interest rates practically at zero uh, by the end of the year, and then we you know, we retested the lows um, after after the election at the beginning of 2009 it's i see that kind of pattern plus history on a bit on bear markets are what they're about 18 months long so if the well, bear began in january of, of 2022 then the math is that that's going to end sometime you know second quarter of next year 
It's but, more, time. But, but, yeah. but more recent bears have been averaging about 14 months. But I do want to go back to the history of 08. We're talking about quick, four Jeff. months. No, I know. So, but let's talk about 08, 09 real quick because I just want to just bring these statistics to our listeners because when you look at 2008, S&P down 37%. And the market, the Dow in particular, didn't hit its generational low until March 9th of 09. So the markets were still kind of finding their bottom, finding their base they could build from. But in 2009, the S&P 500 was up 26.46%. Now, had it recovered from the 37% loss the, the year before? No. But it was still up 26.46%. And for the managers that kept their holes shallower, like we did for our clients in 2008, our clients that hung in there kept a long-term perspective, didn't allow their emotions to take over their investment decision-making and allowed us to do our job as managers, they had fully recovered everything that they had lost at the end of 2008 by October of 2009. And Kyle, to your point, you look at a moderate portfolio right now and look through Friday year-to-date, we're down, I I don't know what the numbers are exactly. Less than But our hole's even shallower this year than it was in 08. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And we're not dealing with a financial crisis. We're dealing with a a market repricing to higher inflation and a high, you know, higher interest rates by the Fed, an aggressive hawkish Fed, which eventually is going to subside. And I do agree, Jeff. I'd say we're all in the same camp that the first half of the year is going to be choppier. You know, we might not have found the lows yet, but you cannot completely void equities in your portfolio because if you just miss a handful of the best up days in any given market year it can significantly impact the long-term annualized return in your portfolio and the history of the market has proven that has proven it don't take my word for it go do your own research and you'll see what i'm saying this is why the all-in all-out strategy fails now we're going into 2023 in our moderate allocation whether it's an asset builder or individual stock and bond portfolio at a roughly 40 60 allocation 40 percent stock 60 percent fixed income with some cash you know, and as we go into 2023, we're going to slowly and incrementally continue to build the equity allocations as we get on the other side of the Fed and their interest rate hiking cycle. So for any investor out there that is this all out, all out, all in, all out strategy, it's a failure. It's a failure. That has been proven. So you have to get some equity exposure. But we're not saying go whole hog on January 3rd. That's not what we're saying. If you've got dry powder, this is where you can continuously dollar cost average, little increments at a time. You know, in 08, 09, hitting the kind of generational low in March of 09, post the financial crisis, the market for that year was still up 26.46% for the S&P. I don't, so, think, I don't think we're going to have that same performance in 2023 for the, for the, for the fact of the matter is, is that we've got substantially higher interest rates, uh, next year than we did in 09. You know, 09, we basically had, we're at zero and yes. we're not going to be, we're not going to be at zero next year. We're all predicting that we're not, the markets is, are not going to be back to all time highs next year. We will have not Correct. made back what was lost in stocks this year. Is not we, we're none of us are in that camp for for 2023. 
Uh, even Kyle's most you know optimistic expectation still doesn't get the S and P back to where it where basically the highs where we started in 2022. Uh, so, but but it's. The, I will. I was looking here. I know we just got a moment. We are almost exactly in terms of asset allocations today where we were on December the thirty first, two thousand and eight, in stocks. Interestingly enough, almost exactly the same. And it's years. And it's years like twenty twenty two that retest investors' intestinal fortitude. Re again, reminding them to take a longer-term view of their portfolio. The odds of the market being down two years in a row is extremely rare. And since 1952, the S&P 500 has been positive 79% of the time. So keep that long-term perspective, keep your emotions in check, and continue to invest. So with that, we're coming up to the top of our break, so we're going to take the break going to the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. But before we go, I want to wish everyone a happy and safe New Year's. And to your financial health, we'll come back after your break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are heading into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, now, as we utilize every second hour of the MoneyWise program going into investor education and wanted to go into a topic that we haven't talked about in quite some time, um, it seems that a lot of our educational segments we talk to we talk to our listeners about the accumulation and the saving side of retirement and, and getting to that uh, retirement red zone but we we seldom discuss what happens once you're in retirement and, and really more importantly and f- more focused on how do you spend in retirement and the appropriate level of spending in retirement to make sure that your retirement nest egg lasts a lifetime. And there was an article, Dad, that you found for MarketWatch in the Wall Street Journal, and it really spurred us into saying to ourselves, you know what, we need to talk about this because I don't think we've covered it enough on this program. I, I think some of our listeners are currently in retirement or right on the verge of going into retirement, and that would be a very 
solid topic to go into so our listeners can start doing their own planning and what i what i call it when i work with our clients or prospective clients i call it financial road mapping that's just the the name i've given it uh myself as far as what we do for our current clients for prospective clients as they're transitioning into retirement just to give them an idea of this is your nest egg this is what you're projected to need to take out on a monthly basis and on an annual basis and this is what can happen to your assets as you go through retirement. But there was a survey that was done in this article, and the title of the article is The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. And this article really kind of goes in two different directions. It, it kind of it, it goes into the direction of retirees not really spending hardly anything of their retirement nest egg because they're terrified to spend well, a single dollar. They're concerned about outliving their money. They're concerned about that. But then there's the other side of the coin of retirees going, I don't want to use the word nuts, but spending a little bit more than they should and actually upsizing. And because, again, looking at a sizable amount of assets, let's say you retire, you've accumulated a million, $1.5 million, $2 million, that it gives them a sense of security that, hey, I can go from a 1,000-square-foot house, I want to build me a new 3,500-square-foot house in retirement because I have all of these assets, and not realizing what kind of significant impact that can make on their nest egg. And so there was a survey done uh, back in February, and they found that not only are some retirees not downsizing, but 30% of these retirees that they surveyed have actually upsized their lifestyle and have upsized I mean, their surprising their, number their, their, and have it? upsized their homes and their lifestyle I, I was quite surprised seeing a 30% increase now granted this is their sample size it's not a huge sample size but again it's an interesting statistic that 30% of these retirees were upsizing um, as they as they moved into retirement and I know that if any of our listeners went to a financial planner, went to a financial salesman and said, okay, here's, here's my nest egg. I want to start drawing assets off of it to live in retirement. How much should I be pulling out? And it seems that the rule of thumb in the brokerage community and the financial planning community has always been a 4% rule to be not taking out more than 4% of the total value of your portfolio on an annual basis. Now, at Davidson Capital Management, being that we're in our 26th year of business, we have a little bit different experience because we have proof of our management philosophy and how it is performed in good markets, bad markets, higher interest rate environments, and, and of course, the horribly low interest rate environment we're currently in. And we have found that you know, our clients have been able to average between a 6 and 7% withdrawal rate on an annual basis and not encroach on their principal assets that they invested with us over the lifetime of the account. And we utilize client number one that's been with us 26-plus years and what they've been able to withdraw from their account and have not only taken out more than they originally invested with us, but actually have more in their account than what they originally invested with us. So we know that our philosophy works because we have proof. We have the numbers to prove it. Um, but that 4% rule has been used by the financial service industry for many, many years. But now, because of the 
extremely low interest rate environment. Some of some folks in the financial service industry are now changing that withdrawal rate to between two and three percent. I mean, that's just that's insane, really. That is low. Well, in our opinion, the way we view this, this the four percent rule, as as you talked about, Kyle being used by our competitors and on Wall Street we've kind of looked at as they're trying to keep the bar as low for themselves as possible. Uh, that way they can charge higher fees, sell their products that have loads, uh, you know, sales charges attached to them, and and still meet their 4% maximum rate of withdrawal uh, target that they tell their clients that they want what they want their clients to stick to. So we the, by taking it down to 2 or 3%, Maximum withdrawal rate per year. That's lowering the bar even more than what was what we what we thought was a pre was a low bar to begin with. With a four percent rule, right? So if you're if you if you got a client that's got a million dollars and you're telling, well, you can only withdraw two percent a year. That's twenty thousand dollars. Well, think about this. I mean, if you put it in the government bonds, ten year bonds, right now. Exactly. You don't need any of this. You can get right at two percent. Exactly. So you don't. You don't need to go to Wall Street to get a two percent withdrawal rate. I mean, you can do that on your own, dealing direct with the Federal Reserve. So that that's absurd. That's why I said that's insane. That's insane. Well, they're they're. Tr- I guess they're trying to cost themselves all the trailing commissions that Dad, you and I talked about on last weekend's show. They're they're trying to cost themselves a lot of commissions because, like you said, you can go directly to the Treasury and buy government bonds, which is a guaranteed rate of return, the only guaranteed rate of return on Wall Street to generate that withdrawal yeah, to, rate of two to one percent. Whether it's two, three, or four percent, in my opinion, this looks like a revenue enhancement to. Uh, Policy by Wall Street. Okay, well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our investor education and it's an uh, and it comes from an article the surprising amount retirees spend and we're talking about spending in retirement and some of the rules of thumb that we utilize with our clients at Davidson Capital Management, uh, but also just some tips for pre-retirees so they can do a quick determination with very simple calculations of whether or not they're potentially ready for retirement and kind of hop on that proverbial horse and riding off into the sunset and some things that they can do and utilize some free calculators uh, that are online for them to do some of their at-home at calculations. Now, getting back to this article, there's a financial research firm. Uh, I, I love the name of it. It's called Hearts and Wallets. <laughs> <laughs> this this research firm, they surveyed uh, a little bit over 1,200 households age 65 and older that had assets of more than $100,000. And the research, researchers found that only 12% uh, or I shouldn't say only, they found out that 12% took out over twice 
the 4% rule closer to a 9% withdrawal rate per year, but they also found that 28% withdrew less than 1%. And some of these folks surveyed didn't remove any assets at all from their retirement assets. Now, I would be assuming that these folks either have, A, taxable assets and outside accounts, because most likely they would be asking if it's IRAs or pensions or what have you, or they have traditional defined benefit plans and getting their pension payment. They decided not to take the cash lump sum option, which is what we recommend to any retiree at Davidson Capital Management to take that lump sum distribution from your pension so you gain control of those assets, or their lifestyle is so modest that their Social Security payments are more than covering their daily living expenses. I mean, that's what—that's the only thing I was able to take away from this survey of over 1,200 households that were surveyed. Um, but, you know, one thing that, that was interesting that came out of this article that really spurred us to want to talk about this is this mentality of chunks or nothing. And that means retirees going into their IRA accounts, going into their retirement accounts, and taking a chunk of money out at a particular period of time, as opposed to spreading those payments out over a monthly basis. And I wanted to talk about this because being in business 26 years, we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, where you know, we recommend that if you're going to be living off of your assets in retirement to set up really kind of your own annuity. And I hate to even use the word annuity, <laughs> but I have to let all of our listeners know the definition of the word annuity means a periodic stream of payments. That's what annuity means. Well, you can create your own annuity through an IRA without actually having to go and buy an annuity, and you do that by setting up a particular dollar amount that you're going to be withdrawing on a monthly basis from your retirement nest egg to live off of in retirement. And this is what we would recommend to Davidson Capital Management as opposed to taking chunks out. And the reason why we recommend not taking chunks of assets out are for a couple of reasons. First off, when you say, okay, I need $15,000 out of my account, and then four or five months later, I need $20,000 out of my account, and then a couple months later, you take another 10000 out, you get to the end of the year, you kind of forget the chunks of assets you took out earlier in the year. And so when you add up the total amount of withdrawals that you took, a lot of times you'll find out that you were violating, again, at, at, our, at our firm, the 6 to 7% withdrawal rate rule where you're part of this group that's taking out 9 10 11% of your investable net worth well, by, well, by taking it in chunks. But the other reason why we don't recommend doing this is you save for retirement typically through dollar cost averaging. If you're participating in a 401K, you're dollar cost averaging into the market. It's also wise to dollar cost average out of the market because if you time the withdrawal of a big chunk of assets at the wrong time, it could wind up costing you at the end of the year when it comes down to your total performance return and growth of those assets. And I, An example that I like to use is think of your retirement nest egg like a golden goose. And that golden goose produces golden eggs. And those golden eggs are capital appreciation, dividend income, interest income. 
you want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to create the biggest golden eggs it possibly can. But if you're going in and taking large chunks of that golden goose out, then you start, of course, leaking into the issue of the law of large numbers, meaning you want to keep your number, your retirement nest egg, as big as possible, as long as possible. So instead of taking $10,000 out, let's say you have to take $50,000 out a year. You know, why don't you take $4,000 out a month as opposed to taking $15,000 out every quarter, you know, doing it that way? Uh, so bottom line is, is our recommendation is to dollar cost average assets out of your retirement nest egg as opposed to taking chunks at one time. The other thing we run into is that we'll see situations where um, clients – don't give us the heads up when they're getting ready to need a chunk withdrawal. And it really affects what a manager is doing with the money if he's not told. It's If you know money's coming out every month, you can also plan as a portfolio manager. Mm-hmm. When you do the chunk withdrawals... It can force sales that you don't want to make. And... It may not come at the right time. That's I mean, right. I mean, you are, you're affecting the return in your portfolio based on that chunk. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have taken a chunk out in early March of 2000, that would have been a whole lot better than taking a chunk out in October of 2000. But it averages out. That's true, but it averages out over the life of the but account. But if it's a large enough chunk, you start, I mean, when we, we know you start taking out more than 7% a year, you run the risk. You're going to be you're going to be running out of money. I mean, depending on how many years this goes on. I mean, we know this. I mean, it's not something we have to study. Twenty five years plus seeing this, and we've had some wild and woolly markets since nineteen eighty nine, and there we're gonna have wild and woolly markets for the next twenty five years. And so you start doing that and you are going to run out of money. And I would say, and Jeff and I have been here long enough, we have seen people run through retirement accounts in a very short period of time, run through inheritances. It happens time and time again. And we will counsel these people and explain to them what's going to happen. But it seems like once it starts, they can't seem to stop it. Yeah. It's it's like hitting an artery that you you can't stop the bleeding. And it isn't, I mean, it's their money. We are there to work for them. But we're also there to counsel, and we will tell, you know, you are going to see this money disappear. A lot of the time when we see people taking chunks out of their retirement accounts, uh, they are more times than not uh, purchases that they shouldn't be making. Um, I've had to advise many times for folks they want to pay off their mortgage. The first thing that happens is they retire, and they have a seven-figure Retirement, and the very first thing they want to do is they want to get totally debt free, and they want to pay off their house, they want to pay off their cars, they want to pay off their credit cards. You know, some of these things we should have been planned ahead of time to have them paid off before you reach retirement. Maybe not necessarily the house, but by taking all these chunks now and converting them to assets that are appreciating at a lower rate or appreciating it. No, re- you know, or depreciating, like you know, paying like off a, a car or like a vehicle. Uh, that that that's a real problem. We've also had to counsel folks many times that are 
and I'm going to use the term quote unquote retiring because they're not actually retiring, they're changing careers. And they go in and raid their retirement nest eggs in order to change careers. And I've had several situations where clients would take out 50 or 60% of their money or more to start a new business, change careers, and the, the, the problem that we have as, as long-term planners uh, of, of retirement nest eggs is that, is this new endeavor going to replace this money that you're taking out in a short period of time? If you change careers at 50 years old, you know, and you're 10, 12 years away from retirement, and you take a million-dollar portfolio down to $500,000, are you going to be able to replace that $500,000 in 10 years in this new endeavor to restore your retirement back to where it was before? That's a that's a that's a question that I that any that I've had to pose to several people who did end up taking all the money, and in many in several cases we've had you know one that completely went through their entire retirement nest egg uh, in this new business endeavor, and that's not a good thing. We wouldn't recommend funding a new business endeavor with your retirement nest egg. No. You should go out and and find other forms of financing, and if you can't get it. Maybe you shouldn't be going into that business venture. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our education of about retirement spending and, and really this whole conversation spurred by an article titled The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. We've only got into a little bit of the article because we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, so we're really discussing our own personal experiences with our client base and just rules of thumb that we use as an investment advisor and also just some tips uh, for our listeners to utilize in getting prepared for retirement and to make sure that you don't outlive your assets. And one thing, Jeff, you were talking about, folks going into retirement, wanting to pay off their cars, wanting to pay off their credit cards, wanting to pay off their house because they don't want to have any bills coming in. Right. And I think the the key there is is that the retirement planning process shouldn't begin the year before you're going to retire. The retirement planning process should be starting many years, you know, 3 years before. So that you if 3 years before you're planning on retiring, you have these credit cards and this car payment and this house payment, then the planning should start three years before. Well, we need to get the credit cards paid off because they're typically they're typically at much higher interest rates. You know, the cars. Well, that's a what are the rates the cars are at? That's you right. Know, if if you bought them here recently, uh, the their interest rates should be pretty low and probably wouldn't be advisable to pay them off uh, with retirement assets. 
you know, if their interest rates are really low. But because one thing that retirees forget is as you pull assets out of the IRA, they're fully taxable as ordinary income. So now you're paying taxes on this withdrawal to pay off this vehicle or to buy whatever. So it's it's yeah, it's nice that you're paying it off, but you're having to pay taxes on that withdrawal. And and the thing that that we discuss here in the office is, well, look at the interest rate. Because we, we get it. We understand. Folks don't like to pay bills. No one likes to pay bills. They don't want to make that car payment on a monthly basis. They don't want to make that mortgage payment on a monthly basis. We get it. But you have to take a look at what is my interest rate? What am I paying? If I have a car note at, say, 2.5%, you want to continue to finance that. I know Jeff and I get this question all the time. Should I be paying cash for a new vehicle? Well, what's the interest rate? Well, it's three and a half percent no don't pay cash for it because just utilizing our our asset builder our moderate allocation our asset builder our goal return for that account over the lifetime of that account is seven percent so i use seven percent as the rule of thumb if the interest rate is below seven percent you finance it if the interest rate is above seven percent okay we could discuss paying cash for it because it Again, you want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to take advantage of compound interest and the law of large numbers. The other thing about removing money from your retirement nest egg, especially if it's an IRA, to pay off bills, is that the income taxes you have to pay. That's right. And and, and if you don't have cash available to pay those income taxes, where do you have to rate again? To right. pay for those income taxes, so, your IRA again, so it's an ongoing cycle. So if you take, say, a $20,000 car loan at 3%, and you take that $20,000 out of your retirement nest egg, you're giving up $20,000 that, under our philosophy over the long term, might earn an estimated 7% to pay off a 3% loan. So that's 4% on $20,000. You know, four percent on twenty thousand dollars, I believe, is eight hundred dollars. If my member, if my math is correct, uh, per year, per year, exactly. And then on top of that, let's say you're in a fifteen percent tax bracket, and you take that twenty thousand dollars out. Well, now you're looking at uh, what was that three thousand dollars in, in income taxes that you're going to have to pay pulling that money out. So you're giving up. $800 a year in additional income compounded and a $3,000 tax bill in a 15% tax bracket just to pay off a $20,000 car loan at 3%. Well, imagine how that works out if you want to expand it out to paying off a house. It can, you know, it can cost let's say you it's a lot. A couple of hundred thousand dollar house and at a 4% interest rate. You know that those are, those run into some really big numbers. I mean, the taxes alone. You know, if it was two hundred thousand dollars, you might you get hit with a twenty plus percent tax bill. That's forty thousand dollars in taxes. Now, now talking about vehicle purchases or talking about homes, like you were talking about earlier, Jeff. If if you have several credit cards all carrying balances at a high interest rate. You really need to get those paid off before you even contemplate going into retirement. I mean, you really need to have consumer debt 
from the credit card standpoint, that financial house in order before you go into retirement. As I say to prospective clients or current clients, if you have a car note at a low interest rate, that's fine going into retirement. You have a mortgage payment at a low interest rate going into retirement, that's fine. But any consumer debt, you really want to have that paid off before you go into retirement because of all the reasons we were just explaining. You don't want to retire and have to pull out $75,000 to pay off credit card debt because now, here you go again, you're having to pay tax on that distribution to pay these credit cards off. So if you find yourself thinking about retirement and you're sitting on twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000 in credit card debt, you need to focus on paying off that debt first so you don't find yourself in a situation where you go and you retire and now you're having to pull out 8 9 10% a year out of your retirement nest egg to keep up with all of these bills. But how do you figure out how much do I need in retirement? Now, I will tell you this. If we all knew when the last day on earth was going to be for each and every one of us, boy, retirement planning would be so simple. It would be so easy. But unfortunately, no one knows when their last day on earth is going to be. So you always have to prepare. The oldest saying in the book, prepare for a rainy day. So what you need to do and what we recommend is if you want to maintain your lifestyle, as I say to prospective clients, if you're used to eating steak three times a week, don't think that once you go into retirement you're going to be eating PB&J and rice and beans three times a week instead of steak. So we recommend to take 12 months of your spending and average them out. Add up 12 months. And if you haven't if you don't keep good records and you're thinking about retirement, you need to start keeping a record every month of what you're spending for your cell phone, your electricity, your water, your entertainment, food, all of your expenses. You add up 12 months, divided by 12, you get your average. And once you have that average, you multiply by 12 again. That is your withdrawal rate per year that you need to take out in order to maintain that lifestyle. Now, if that dollar amount divided by how much you've saved is greater, that withdrawal rate is greater than, say, 7%, then you need to either, A, lower your living expenses somehow, or, B, you need to work longer and you need to save more. And, again, there's financial calculators. There's a website called financialcalculators.com. I absolutely love this website. You can utilize it for free. It has so many calculators and so many different consumer finance and retirement planning arenas, it will blow your mind. And it's a, and it's a website that I use very, very often. In fact, I used it today. So utilize financialcalculators.com, but you need to sit down and do this work. Don't just go into retirement blindly and figure out what you're going to need to be spending on a monthly basis, and that's what we would recommend is taking monthly withdrawals, not chunks. You have to get out of the chunk mentality. And we understand emergencies arise where you do have to tap in more than than what you are taking out on a monthly basis. We get that, but don't make it a habit. I was going to say the the key to managing retirement assets, to me, comes down to one word, flexibility. Absolutely. And flexibility means that your retirement assets are not invested in instruments that... Take that away. 
yeah, that that reduce your ability to withdraw if an unforeseen event comes comes you know happens. And I'm kind of laying this at the feet of non-publicly traded REITs or private placements or annuities of all different kinds. Or even taking a defined benefit payment from a traditional pension. That would be something else. Right. Taking a traditional roll, pension. Yeah. Roll, instead of taking the lump sum, you roll. You just go on and say, I'm going to take the pension and that's it. Because once you lock yourself in to taking that pension payment. You're done. You, you, that's, the, that's it. You're only getting that amount of money for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life and your spouse's life. And then once those two, typically, once, once if you choose the right, the, the particular option where you get, you get a pension payment for your lifetime and your wife gets a pension payment for her lifetime, there's no other assets going to the uh, estate. And it's not; those payments are not adjusted for inflation. So every month that goes by, that pension payment is buying less, and they're also not guaranteed. That's right. No matter how strong the corporation is, and I know the the refinery businesses here in the Corpus Christi area are very good at taking care of their employees. I mean, we've seen it firsthand. But there are no guarantees in life. And when you have your pension and you're taking those pension payments, and if that pension goes insolvent, very bad things can happen. And we'll talk about that when we come back from our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-275. Two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's MoneyWise program, uh, before we went to break, Jeff was talking about maintaining flexibility in retirement, and I was talking about taking pension payments, and we were talking about solvency of pensions. The one thing that each and every one of our listeners needs to understand is that there is no such thing as a guaranteed pension from any corporation. I mean, corporations have gone out of business all the time. I mean, I think of WorldCom. I think of Enron. There's other corporations that have gone out of business. The airline, a lot of airline industry or a lot of companies in the airline industry have gone out of business. The reason why we recommend taking a lump sum distribution, if it's available, in your pension, or if you have, if you're lucky enough to still have a defined benefit or pension plan from your employer, the reason why we recommend to take that cash lump sum payout is to be able to maintain that flexibility in retirement and not rely on your former employer to be making those monthly payments to you because you have to understand those monthly pension payments are not hedged or not adjusted for monetary inflation. So what buys you uh, in 2015 is going to buy you a heck of a lot less the payment, the same payment you're getting in 2020 or in 2030. So that's the reason why you want to take that lump sum to have that flexibility and also to have access to those assets in case you do run into an emergency or want to be spending a little bit more 
that you can afford to spend a little bit more than what your pension payment uh, you're receiving is going to amount to. But the other reason is that if a pension goes insolvent, it gets turned over to the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And the thing you have to understand is the PBGC has multi-billion dollars of unfunded pension liabilities, and they have a cap set on the maximum amount a pension recipient can receive on a monthly basis. And so if you were lucky enough to be receiving a very sizable, say, a four or $5,000 a month pension payment, well, last I checked, which is it's been a, it's been a while since I've checked, but if memory serves me correct, the PBGC's maximum monthly payout is less than $3,000 a month. So if you're receiving a four or $5,000 monthly pension payment, and the pension gets turned over to the PBGC. Yeah, you just sliced. You just sliced your pension regardless payment. of how much you're receiving a month, you're going to get less. Yeah, you're going to get less. That's right. And something else that we've talked about on past shows: some horror stories concerning these pension payouts. And I've read this right out of the Wall Street Journal: is the actuarial firms crunching the numbers have run into situations where they find out that a pension has been overpaying pension recipients for years and years and years and one day a pension recipient goes to the mailbox receives a letter stating oh we've overpaid you over the last 10 years $150,000 you need to pay that back to us immediately or we're going to cut your pension benefit in half until we recoup that that overpayment it's rare it's rare it's very rare but it happens one thing that struck me was was this um, that was on page two of the and come, going back to the article uh, and the article titled, let me get back to the title, The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend, um, the roadmap for policymakers and Americans' view of the retirement crisis from the National Institute of Retirement Security found that in a survey of 801 Americans, 67% said that they'd be willing to take less in salary increases today today in exchange for guaranteed income in retirement. And again, this goes right this is laid right to the feet of this pension benefit, this the secure the secure feeling you get from receiving that monthly check from a pension or from an annuity, and unfortunately, these payments are not adjusted for monetary inflation. And we constantly talk about monetary inflation on the Money Wise program because not enough folks in the financial service industry are talking about it. Monetary inflation is the silent killer to the value of your retirement nest egg. Well, what what I see here, when I see people wanting to take less salary today for this Guaranteed amount quote, of money, quote unquote, guaranteed in the future. And the one thing you don't want to do is whatever that payment you're getting at age sixty-five or sixty-six, you're not going to like it at age seventy-eight, seventy-nine. I, I, I will guarantee you that. Oh, you're using the G. Yeah, word. yeah, that's the guarantee. The guarantee is you're, <laughs> you're not, not going to like it. You're not going to like that amount of money ten years down the road. The one thing I'm, you know, I'm only seventy. I'm not. I'm, you know, I, I'm not. Retired, retired. But the one thing that Jeff said that is is the most important word is that flexibility. 
you cannot give up flexibility. And here's people saying, oh, if you just pay me less money today. I'm, I'm willing to get, take less know, money try, and give up flexibility. And give up flexibility. No. No. I mean, this, this But is, that's fear talking, Dad. See, right. that's the thing. This is fear. These 67% of these 801 people surveyed, this is fear. This, this is this the is, 67% that the annuity community focuses on. That's right. These are the fearful people that we've talked about last year on a show, the Dalbar study of overly emotional investors constantly remembering their losses and their failures and not remembering their victories. And because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of the volatility that's here to stay on Wall Street, it's never going away. And I don't think it's ever going to get any better. You know what I would like to do if I was retiring, if I thought in terms of guaranteed? Create a laddered government bond portfolio knowing that interest rates are going up in the future and that guaranteed amount is going to be going up in the future. And guaranteed by the federal government. Instead of taking salary increases in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement, how about they keep the same salary but contribute more to their 401Ks and build up their 401k nest eggs and stop being so fearful about day-to-day movements in the stock markets or what this pundit is saying and that pundit is saying and just pay yourself more in in, in accumulating retirement assets now because taking a, accepting a lower salary for in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement that's baloney. The, the, what it's, it's just never – this guaranteed income in retirement is not going to be enough to fund a, comf- a for retirement. comfortable retirement for, for most people. It's just not. So, so pay yourself first now with your increased salary by contributing more to your 401Ks and have some money in stocks and have some money in bonds and have some money in cash, but don't have it all in bonds and cash because you're never going to beat monetary inflation over the long term if you're not willing to take a little bit of risk now. And if any of our listeners would like to have a deeper powwow concerning their particular financial situation, you can reach us in our office on Monday at 906 906- Zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, from my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying, "Have a fantastic weekend into your financial health." We will talk to you next week.